Hey, y'all, and welcome back to the Woman Emits podcast. This is Katie Ray, one of your co-founders, alongside Haley Trojan and your host. I am so glad to have you guys here. We are back for Healthy Relationships Amidst a Selfish World, our second season. Last week, we talked about friendship breakups, which was so great with Bailey Miney. And this week, we are here talking about sexuality and singleness, dating and relationships with Dr. Jenny Armstrong. So we had her on actually on our first season. If you guys caught her, if not, I will tag it in the show notes, but Jenny is amazing and this is her specialty. So wherever you are in life, whether you are single, dating, looking at online dating, which we do talk about, um, or you're married and carrying maybe some of the hurts from your single journey, into your marriage. We are talking today about how to find healing, accountability, how to address wherever you are, whatever decisions you're making. There's no shame coming into this place today. We come here wanting to find healing together as a community. So I hope you guys enjoy Jenny as much as we did. Here she is. Hey, Jenny, welcome back to The Woman Amidst. We are so glad to have you. Thank you, Katie Ray. I'm so excited to be here again. Yeah. Well, I'm, um, yeah, just once again, so thankful. And this whole topic of healthy relationships amidst a selfish world, I have felt really passionate about because I we're just relational beings. And I feel like it's something that we know and we live in and breathe every day in our relationships and connections with other. We don't spend a whole lot of time unless you're in some sort of professional counseling, <laughs> actually dealing with maybe ways we can do it better. Um, so I'm really glad for this one in particular, because this is your specialty. It's talking about single sexuality and how that impacts our relationships, ourselves, and us living healthily um, in every capacity. So will you just start out by telling us a little bit about your experience and education around this and who you are, what what you're doing in this in this specialty? I would love to. I have worked with women in ministry in some form or facet since 2007. And I felt God calling me to, after working with student ministry to go back and prepare to do my master's in counseling. Um, I am individually focused in my master's degree in clinical counseling. Most counseling is usually either individuals or family systems or relationships. So I work individually only with women in my practice. Mm -hmm. My specializations are spirituality and counseling, spiritual formation, as well as Christian sex therapy. So working with women in ministry and also just teaching scripture and small groups and discipleship over a number of years, I begin to see a real gap in the ways that the church talks to women about who they are mm. as sexual beings, not only sexual behaviors, but also just as mm. women. What what do we look at as far as how do we read scripture from a female perspective? Sometimes God is saying something very different um, than he would be saying some to someone else or a male mm. or a child or a group of people. So there's a very specific message for women um, based on their sexuality. There's also a lot of instruction Um, for sexual behaviors. My doctoral work, I actually looked at this um, topic, integrating um, spirituality and sexuality um, for single emergent Mm. women. Those are women predominantly 18 to 25 years old. So ones that are leaving the home, but not quite into full adulthood yet, sort of a launching season. And this is actually the life stage that most women find themselves actually really considering their sexuality as an identity. What am I going to Hmm. live out of as a woman? What type of intimate relationships am I going to have in the future, as well as what type of relationship do I want with God? So my doctoral work has been titled God Like Sex, um, Integrating Spirituality, Sexuality. And that has been a really great topic because so many Hmm. women have shared with me, no one wants to necessarily talk about that specifically from a Christian perspective or within the church. So that's where my doctoral work landed. I have a um, doctorate of ministry in spiritual formation and leadership, focusing on single sexuality for women. That's great. And I know um, from my own personal experience, I mean, I walked through that emerging into adulthood, single life phase with you. I mean, I got married at 27. 
I met Nick at 25, who's my husband, for those of you who don't know. And you literally walked with me through all of that season of college and entering into that and questioning who I was and looking at my past and the decisions I had made and who I wanted to be in that. Um, and, and not only for myself, you've done that for a lot of women. So on a specific level, whether it's in a counseling perspective or in a day-to-day, how do you approach relationship with women who are in that phase and helping walk with them into that decision process? From a counseling perspective, I think that we, I first start with identity within themselves, what I call self-concept. I think that Hmm. it's hard to be in a relationship with others until you can be in a relationship with yourself. And so often, Hmm. one of the reasons I feel like women are coming into counseling, specifically the ones that I see, and of course, these are not all women. These are just my women that I get to do Mm -hmm. life with. But they're so often caretakers of others. They're so often Hmm. women who are so self-sacrificing, busy, trying to meet expectations, trying to be enough for someone that they don't actually know themselves. So I think to me, that's the place that I normally start. Who am I? Who Hmm. am I? What have I been made to be? How am I in relationship with God? What has he made me to be? How do I live in those gifts? After we go through those two questions, then we begin to focus on relationships with others. Where do you want to be in your life in relationship? Hmm. What is it that you're looking for? Is singleness a joy to you or is it a discouragement? Is marriage something that you're looking for? Are you having um, close friendships that maybe are lacking as a single person? Um, are you dating? Do you want to be dating? Um, hmm. What What are the relationships that have gotten you to this point? What is your history? And that's one thing you're mentioning that we talked through. Like what has been your history of dating? Has that been positive or negative? What have been experiences with your family of origin and how did those affect the way you interact with others? So these are just some of the ways that we get started. It's a lot, sounds like a lot of different avenues. I would love to tell you it's quick. As you can tell, that probably takes some time to get down in those yeah. layers and we have to yeah. go slow. But as we get there, we can really start to see our relationships change and our hmm. view of self as well as our connection to God. Yeah, that that was my first thought when you said this was like, I, I honestly don't still, I mean, I feel like still I'm figuring out this, but that question of like, who am I? And that ability to be in relationship with yourself, that feels like a big hurdle to tackle because I feel like what's interesting about the dynamic that we live in is it is very independent today where we do things on our own and we have this like self-love culture, but a lot of times it isn't with a whole lot of at least from my understanding, reflection, and there isn't a whole lot of understanding of really who I am. We're kind of just going about in the busyness and not stopping to take time and looking at what we really need. Um, so wh- like, how do you even start with someone? Like if someone's listening to this podcast and they're like, man, that's where I need to begin is a relationship with myself. Where do I begin? Well, one thing I want to go back and just comment on that you just said, which was so important I think that our culture as women, and even for us, we're particularly talking about Christian women, but not only Christian Mm -hmm. women, all women. I think that Mm -hmm. we live under a pressure of service and caring from others, from a a sense of self from pressure to perform Mm -hmm. versus caring for self out of a sense of nurture. So Mm -hmm. I think that in the very beginning, I would say, how much are you trying to manage as a female, because in order to have a chance to even process through anything in your emotions, Hmm. you're going to have to have some space and margin. That's usually the word that people hate to hear me say over and over again. Where is your margin? It means saying no to a lot of things. Mm. That's the place to start. Um, Women who are struggling to know themselves often will struggle with sleep. Maybe Mm. eating habits, appetite is um, up and down. Maybe Mm -hmm. they are um, overcompensating or undercompensating with exercise, having strange dreams at night. Um, Maybe even periods are abnormal or scattered or extremely heavy, or even they're skipping them and therefore their hormones are throwing their emotions all over the place. And all of those signs to me are physical symptoms that someone is in distress and that's the sense of like not being Hmm. in connection with yourself not knowing yourself so the physical aspects of those 
are always the easiest to start with because those are the things you can most control. Um, I always say, first of all, um, drink lots of water, hydration. We should be getting 64 ounces of water per day, um, not, yeah. a, not a water substitute, like actual still water. It can do spring mm. water, um, whatever sounds good to you. The second would be getting adequate sleep. So that's mm. a part of self-nurture, self-care. We really should be having at least seven to eight hours, but even up to nine hours per day is in a healthy pattern. And so when you have less mm. than that, you need to make up for that. Also eating healthy, um, spending time with female friends, not just in relationships that are intimate or romantic relationships, but your, your same sex friendships are really important. Mm. Um, as Christians, we want to say, we want to spend a lot of time with our faith and spending time with God as well. And when I start throwing all those different things, usually as I say one or more than one of those, there's going to be a tension and a pushback. Mm. So I think even to the women listening today, what bothered you about what I just said? Which of those categories, as I named it, immediately there was resistance to? Because that's where we want to start. And Mm. for all of us, we'll do some of those naturally. For each of us, we will also have some of those areas that I just mentioned, and that's just a few that there's resistance to. And that's where yeah. your starting point is. What? Why does that feel too much for you? Hmm. That's great, Jenny. Um, yeah, definitely thinking about that because things stuck out to me as well and being like, wow, am I really giving enough to those areas? So if we're looking at this, you know, this looking at our, our the health of ourselves and our healthy relationship with ourselves and then moving into healthy relationship with other people, I just want to take a take a step into the bigger picture really quick and talk. Let's just talk about why this is so relevant in the culture that we live in today. Cause I feel like you and I have talked about that a good bit. There is quite a contradiction um, to understanding who you are devoting to yourself, to healthy relationships, to your sexuality in the culture and the climate that we're up against. So can you give us insight into that? Sure. So Back in biblical times, and as Christians, it's kind of when we consider the beginning of time is like Genesis 1. We came from women from what we call patriarchal society. That was where there was sort of a, a male dominance over women. Most of the value hmm. for women in that time, um, this might have been like you know ten or 15,000, whatever, B.C., whatever that time was. I don't have an exact date, but um, yeah. it was mostly for Um, producing children. That was really the value of women. And as we have come from an Old Testament relationship to a New Testament relationship with God and ourselves, women are meant to be perceived um, with a different sense of value. I love examples in scripture of women being traders than being merchants, than being Hmm. um, successful in their business. They're successful in their mothering. They're successful Hmm. in their relationships. They're successful in their singleness. Um, there's hmm. they're teachers, they're um, judges in scripture. They're people that have all sorts of different um, aspects. So that's sort of the gender role that we have. But sexuality hmm. for us has also transitioned um, for us as Christians, where our sexuality was really just for the purpose of men. Um, actually, actually, in the early church, there was no sense of like even pleasure for women um, in and marital intimacy. Hmm. It was really only for procreation. And there's a sense of enjoying your wow. body, even intimacy and marriage that's really different and new for those that are married. Our culture hmm. that we live in, unfortunately, the way that we look at sexuality now is still a lot like the culture of the patriarchy, which is why I'm saying that. Um, it's yeah. been sort of the trickle down effect that we've had from the pornography era that has perpetrated since the internet and even before then, but particularly since the internet became so widespread and so much accessibility. Mm. Um, Pornography is actually based on male dominance sexually over women, other men, children, and animals. And so Mm. we, in some ways, have sort of bought into that culture. Our sexuality is like, are we skinny enough for others? Are we, um, do we have big enough body features? Do we have small enough body features? Or if we're somehow not being sexual, we're not valuable. Hmm. Um, and these are, these are things that are so important in our culture now because we're getting mixed signals um, in that. Our, biblically, actually long ago when people used to get married, they were probably about 13 to 14. So by the time they were hitting puberty, most of the ones that we would 
recognize like Mary was probably around 14 years old. Joseph hmm. may have been likely they guess um, commentators spectate around 19 or 20. So not, not that old. And they were really being um, introduced in sort of arranged marriages. And that was how they spent their sexual life. Now we've created sort of an ambiguous adolescence that's, maybe 18, maybe it's 21, maybe it's 25, maybe it's 30. We don't really know Hmm. when we become adults and ready to be married. Most people say, well, I'm still not totally emotionally healthy. I'm not ready to be married. Well, you just said the same thing a minute ago. I'm still working on all those things. So am I. Right. We all will be (laughs) for the rest of our lives. And so we have changed our time of marriage where most Um, Young adults are getting married actually more around the age of 28 to 32 for a first marriage, obviously, rather than Mm. a younger um, preteen age of 13 or 14. So we've recreated the way that singleness looks. We're spending Mm. a lot of our years as singles, not in a sexually committed relationship within marriage in the confines of what scripture says. Uh, We have all these urges. We have all these messages that are telling us our value is in our sexuality and yet our faith tells us if we're single we're not sexual so that to me is why this is such an important topic for women who are single particularly within the church because we are coming from so many directions yeah yeah I mean so how would you where do you even start to look at how a single woman approaches her sexuality glorifying the Lord you know looking at a biblical value, finding the truth and how to even do that. Because I do feel like, like we said, it's a contradiction of messages. We have a message from the world that says your sexuality is everything. This should be the primary way you look at a relationship. Don't be in a relationship with this person unless you know you have great sexual encounters or you have the church's message that's, it's a, is that not all of the church, but I know a lot of people have gone from the church this purity message of feeling shame and redemption if you explore your sexuality at all. So how how do how does someone balance that? Well, coming from a Christian perspective and a biblical worldview in my counseling, mm-hmm. I'm always going to say I start with scripture first. Yeah. Um, I I like to think about sexuality as part of who a female is. I think particularly for us as women, normally sex drive is not even that high in women, particularly as compared to what males may be as far as we don't Hmm. have the same testosterone levels. We are totally different. And it, the act of sexual intimacy and sexual behaviors most of the time is not what's going to define women. So I think that if we place that in the category and only give it the space that we actually feel like it belongs in our life, it becomes a part of who we are and, and not a whole. Um, Right. One of the beginning things I would say, too, is your your sexuality is very much integrated with your faith. I think that's why I titled my dissertation, God Likes Sex, because for some reason it seems to be very different in Christian culture. Well, if hmm. I am a person who is single, I don't have any sense of sexuality. Well, you do. You have yeah. periods, most, most of you. You have um, arousal. You have desire. You have longings. Um, you have hurts, you have wounds, you desire connection. Um, even if it's not specifically on a sexual level, it's definitely on an intimate level. And that's part of your gender. It's part of your sexuality. And it's not mm-hmm. something um, that just comes um, at marriage. Um, I think I always like to look at Galatians 5 first, because I think that your sexual identity in a healthy context will always be reflected in the spiritual fruit that God produces through you in Galatians five. Hmm. And that's those nine types of fruit are going to be love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. All of those are part of the self-concept that we talk about. Am I treating myself with those, Hmm. uh, those different types of fruit? Is that coming out of me in the way that I treat myself, my own body, my relationships, um, my words, my behaviors, my friendships, um, even before others. Um, but especially the self-control part. I think that's the one of the parts particularly for sexuality that so many people um, like to look at. What does it mean to be in self-control? Um, yeah. Some of the characteristics that scripture would point to um, 
these to me would be sort of sexually healthy characteristics of a single Christian woman who is seeking to live from a biblical mindset. One would be um, modesty. Um, Modesty Mm -hmm. does not mean wearing ugly clothes and things that you don't like or never going to the beach or the pool, but it's living within a sense of not only physical modesty, and that's really for you and the Holy Spirit in you and looking at scripture yourself to determine what that is, but even emotional modesty, like, Mm -hmm. are we able to not just put everything out there? Do we not feel kind of like I was talking about a minute ago in porn culture, we have to have our whole selves inside and out, out there to be evaluated by others Hmm. to determine whether they're good enough. So modesty is one in all sorts of aspects, not only physically, but maybe emotionally. Hmm. Another one would be purity. Um, I love actually the book that Doug Rosenau wrote on single sexuality, still one of my favorites, Mm -hmm. Soul Virgins. And he talks about in there the ability um, to be Obviously, God's best and his best design would be that we are physically virgins. But over, like, I think my, I think my research showed that, like, 93% of Christian women have had some sense of sexual experience. And so most are not coming into marriage as a virgin. So I want you to hear that if that is you and someone is listening mm-hmm. today. This is for you. You're not exempt. This is actually you I'm talking to. God has a plan for your life, and it is a really good one. And... He wants you to bring all that forward because he wants to purify it. He wants to bring mm. your story and your past, your choices, your decision, and he wants to make them new. He wants to make them clean. He wants to take mm. away anything that doesn't belong. And that's that sense of purity. What Doug talks about in his book, Soul Virginity, is a second type of virginity that can be um, achieved through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, also with purity, is um a soul virginity. We may not become physically virgin again um, if you've already had a sexual experience prior to marriage or even if you've been married before and you're suddenly single again. But you can have a renewed soul, not only purified but restored. That's actually God's plan is not just to make it right, he's to make it new. And so there's Hmm. a difference between just, just being purified and also taking on that aspect of as if it never happened again. And so I think those are... Like three, to me, first characteristics, you can go back and also compare the fruit of the Spirit. Those are also parts of being gracious, receptive, Hmm. gentle, humility. These are all different parts. Um, Serving, um, leading, um, Hmm. generosity. These are all different parts to me of healthy single sexuality. Hmm. But I think above all, it goes back to connection with God. Hmm. Yeah. One of the things that you told me when I was single and in my early 20s was um, that a lot of times we try to suppress our sexuality when we've been called to submit it. And that has that stuck with me so hard, especially in my dating relationship with Nick and as we're getting closer to marriage. And it and I think that's where so many, so many people are so hurt by this idea of purity culture because they feel like that means they have to suppress it all. I don't have any desires. Any desire I have is bad, but I love where that's where you're talking about this self-control really comes in because self-control doesn't mean that you don't have anything to control. It means that you actually acknowledge it and you submit it before God. You understand that it is good and it is given to you for a reason because when you, you are in that relationship of marriage you do want to have those urges and those desires and longings like you talked about and we do want those to be fulfilled that's a help part of healthy relationship and marriage um but so it's not saying we don't have them but it's living in a way that submits them which uh, that's just been something that stuck out to me so much in in my 20s while I was pursuing dating in all these relationships I really agree because there is a sense of like, if you love God, then you are apart from the world in a way that you're not normal or human. I mm-hmm. love my pastor taught, not today, but last week, um, today's actually a Sunday that we're talking, that um, he talked to, um, about Jesus and that we want to get past the point where we feel like he wasn't really a man who, it says he mm-hmm. dealt with every type of temptation and desire, and yet he was pure and perfect. Mm. He 
under, that's also part of our human nature. God's made us sexual beings and it's a good, it's meant to mm-hmm. bring us into a sense of connection with himself and with others. And mm-hmm. the self-control piece is not that we don't have sexual urges and desires. It's what do we do with them? Mm-hmm. Do we steward that in a way to press into God and, um, into greater friendship and meet those desires in healthy ways, such as um, having really life-giving conversations, friendships with others, like healthy exercise, um, hugging people, having healthy physical connection. For all women, a massage is always a good one. Massage (laughs) is a great way to have a single sexual um, experience in a holy, healthy way that can help meet some of those physical urges Mm -hmm. and needs Um, But are we doing those things so that we can live in a sense of self-control and keep our sexual behaviors boundaried until marriage so that they're meant to operate and we don't have hindrances to the design that God really has? Um, Right. Even even if this is someone that's engaged, and that might be who's listening right now, and I have many that we talk about, how about try a season of celibacy before you get married, even if you're living together, even if you're currently sexually intimate? How about trying six weeks of celibacy? Because often I find with young couples is that things that may have been fine from one context in premarital sex has changed when they become married. And Hmm. God has designed sexual intimacy to be all about giving. And so Mm -hmm. as we deny ourselves and give our sexuality back to the Lord, he gives us the sense of peace and resolve and, um, uh, sort of a, a, a bomb to the to the sort of hmm. chaos and disrupted desire that sexual and uh, that sexual desire can bring. Right. Um, but as we um, don't have those boundaries, we can put up a lot of um, roadblocks to healthy sexual marital intimacy, like shame or guilt or condemnation. And at times, that can come out for women later when they are married. In pain or lack of desire or stress mm-hmm. or frustration. And so one of the reasons that he wants us to operate in that beautiful sense of self-control is so that we have a very fruitful, life-giving, sharing connection and sexuality with our spouse and just through holy um, spiritual intimacy with him. Yeah, I think that's really good. I know um, I've had this conversation with people before that You know, you need to figure out if you're sexually compatible with somebody before marriage and how that's a really important ingredient to deciding if you want to be with them. And one of the things that I have like thought about a lot is there is a level of I remember like you talked about this and learning about this in Dr. Rosenau's class where there's like that stool of of connection where you have like the commitment and friendship and sexual and or Sorry, it's what, okay, You maybe you should say this, not me. You're the expert in this. But where it talks about like the three different areas of intimacy and how they have to be balanced. And there is a truth to that, but it all has to come in healthy timing. And it's out of protection of when the Lord has it at an appropriate time. And sometimes when we enter it too early, we cause things to be imbalanced because it's too soon for that type of sexual intimacy before there's a level of commitment or f- spiritual intimacy. Or I'll let you pick up from there because you're the expert. I like to share this example of a table where I'm trying to glue on the legs and I'm trying to make a table and put all the pieces together and mm. For the example of as if like when you actually sit and dine at the table and feast at the table, that that's in a sense of marriage. And so Mm. when people are trying to move very quickly, I would say too much too soon is if it's not a red flag, it's at least a blinking yellow light. Just slow down and figure out what's going on. It's a good time to stop and evaluate what's going on around Mm -hmm. you. And so if I start gluing legs to a table, but don't give it time to dry, to set, to be stained, to be prepared, to be sealed, then as soon as I put something on top of it and get ready to eat, it's just going to fall apart. And sexual intimacy is that way prior to marriage because it Mm. is not meant for that. God is not there gluing it together. So very often, not always, but very often, a lot of the pieces of the relationship sort of fall apart um, because the Lord hasn't made our relationships, particularly as Christians, to function with sexual intimacy that he's not part of and God is not part Mm. of premarital sex. 
he he's not he's part of postmarital sex so it's actually very different that's why sometimes people can be challenged postmaritally versus premaritally um, because it's not going to work the same way that it did it's actually working the way it should but it's not what they're used to um, hmm. So I think that's really important. Yeah, that's really good. Um, not to completely jump ship from this topic, but I think it's also important to go back to what you said about how women are getting married so much later than they used to. I mean, we're looking at age 14 to age, what, 28 to 32 now. That's a big gap. Um, and in a lot of ways, people would say that the waiting for marriage was something that was relevant when someone was 14, but is not relevant in today's culture. So how do you approach that from a biblical look and value when we are getting married so much later? You know, that's a really hard one. Um, I think that it's with women and especially those that really desire marriage at a young age. I hear this often and it's funny because I don't know, where it's come from, except maybe their parents' generations, where they're like, I should be married after college, or if you didn't go to college, I should be married after high school, or mm. there's this sort of set standard that means if I was good enough, I would have been the first one picked, or I'm the first one chosen, and so that's mm. really not true, but that's what I hear very often, and I think that one, um, there's not really like there's just not a lot to meet as far as meeting people. We live so virtually right now. We don't mm. actually interact with a lot of people face to face. And it's not like in our parents' time or grandparents where it's like everyone goes to the drive in on Saturday night and it's, you know, you just have this like great amount of people um, that are your age. And so, you know, when I'm talking about these two times of like high school or college, when you would have this expectation that suddenly you're married when that's sort of countercultural right now, those are really the last seasons of life where you do life with so many people, your same age. Um, when as yeah. you get into the workforce, usually you're dispersing and you have some friends your own age, but probably people you work with are totally different ages. They're probably married. Um, they may be um, divorced. They may be in just mm. dating relationships. There's all sorts of different connections. So it's harder to meet people. Not as many people go out and gather. More people are online. So there are a lot of questions. And how do I live a fulfilling life? When they ask women if they're really wanting to date, if that's what you're asking, and that they are single, and I say, well, how many people are you actually encountering that you could date? Are you actually coming around people of the opposite sex at all when you go to the grocery mm. line the grocery store do you always turn to women they usually laugh and tell me I go to self-checkout I'm like that might be a problem it's hard to meet people <laughs> when you do that <laughs> especially with COVID and the pandemic we've just had we've just been through a long season where it not only was hard to meet people it was unsafe to meet people and that was very mm. isolating and the bubbles were very small for those that are single, maybe at times even from their family. So hmm. if this is you and you've had a longer period of time of singleness than you expected, start praying, start asking, have someone else um, do this journey along with you. I like Henry Cloud's book called How to Get a Date Worth Keeping. And I really love that he talks about two different prospects in this um title where he is talking about two issues that women may face when they're looking for dating. Some just need to up their numbers. How do I get a date? I just need to encounter more people that I would want to date. Maybe not just my friends that are have been my friends for 20 years and same old people every week. Maybe I need to actually get out and meet some new people or get some new interests or actually join some things that have people with things in common that are more versatile than where I am. Or maybe even the get a not just get a date but also worth keeping yes each mm -hmm. person has amazing worth but as far as being a good fit for me is it worth the time that I'm spending if we're not really compatible so yes they're worthwhile individuals but it's not going to be worth it to me the amount of investment I'm doing on these dates if it's not actually producing any type of results so mm -hmm. I think that I would say that that's one thing that you can really consider. Another is online dating. A lot of singles are doing online dating now. And for some, it's been really frustrating. For some, it's actually been super effective. And I have 
numerous that I help coach through that and counsel through that. And they're now married. So it's really a Hmm. personal choice of how women want to meet people or how they don't. Yeah, that's great. Um, Wow. Online dating. I feel like I uh, missed that train by like a year. It was right when Nick and I met, people were getting on Tinder and it was becoming a thing. But since then, I've had several people who we know in our sphere who have met and dated and now are married. And it's been really successful through that sphere. Do you feel like it is a different process when you're getting to know someone virtually instead of in person? Or how, how should someone approach that differently than they would if they just met them? Absolutely. I do. Well, first of all, there can be sort of a sense of false into instant intimacy where you feel like you know them better. And often I find that the women that I work with, they're talking to people a lot more than you normally would. Hmm. a lot sooner. So maybe you've had hours and hours and hours of relationship with someone over just the first three or four weeks of a relationship versus, you know, you've met someone and you've seen them very slowly over a three or four year period or something like that. So that's one thing that's very different. Online dating can be really effective. We live where I am from. It's close to Atlanta. And so particularly Atlanta singles, You know, you're leaving Athens where I'm from. There's a lot of people that are just hanging out. There's a lot to do for a lot of people between 18 and 23. But when you leave Mm -hmm. and go to a large city, you're working. By the time you go to work, drive in traffic, come home, you're too tired to do that. And so you try to hang out with friends on the weekend or church, but then you're not really meeting anyone. So actually, Atlanta singles particularly have had a lot of success, even figuring out who wants to date. Who's in a relationship? Mm -hmm. Who's interested in going to do something? And so that's been really good. Um, I also say, too, you know, you don't really know someone. Even though you're getting to know them and what they tell you, you don't really know for sure whether that's true or that's not or it's not true. If you have someone that you're talking to and it's always maybe preferable if somehow they've known someone within your circle of friends, it's not always possible, but it's preferable I would also mm-hmm. say, too, that um, m- no, most of the time I watch the progression go from going back and forth on the app, then the next stage seems to be texting, a little bit more intimate, then it seems to be maybe phone calls, a little bit more intimate, then is FaceTime, that's a little bit more intimate. I always ask my women, have you FaceTime? Are you sure the person you're looking at on the picture is the person you're talking to? And if that could come sooner than later, that's totally fine. But I always ask that question. It sounds strange, but I've also known some really negative stories Yeah, with catfishing yeah. and or even some that didn't feel necessarily safe when they realized who they were talking to. Not they were unsafe, mm. but they weren't feeling necessarily safe either. So that's always a big question. Are you sure who you think you're talking to is the person you actually are talking to? Is their yeah. story correct? Do you have a lot in common with them? Are they really valuing faith in the same way that you are? Another big thing, just as what we're talking about, is sex on the table for you as a Christian? For some people who profess to be Christians, it is on the table for them in dating relationships. Hmm. Um, That is um, hard. It can also be very concerning, particularly with the amount that I've known who've been affected with STDs from those that they have met online who have... Um, had intimate relationships with others and Hmm. the relationship quickly ended, but they were dealing with a longer term problem as a result. Um, Also for women, I'll say this one little tip that I always talk to my clients about, and that is you have to consider that the other person is dating other people and talking to other people until you make a mutual intentional decision to be exclusive. And that can Hmm. actually be very hard for women. Sometimes they think that that maybe this great conversation they're having is definitely leading towards marriage. It's going really well. But online dating is meant to be dating a lot of different people at once, getting to know yourself, getting to know someone else, not necessarily mm. immediately becoming so serious. So those would be my my initial conversations with anyone that's doing online dating. I know it sounds like a lot. I've just kind of touched on different areas. But if that feels overwhelming to you, it doesn't mean don't do it. It just means have someone that'll sit down and talk you through the scenarios like I just did. And hmm. be able to have those conversations. If you don't have the answers, continue talking and get more information and ask the questions you need to before you meet face to face. Thinking of these issues of 
around online dating or other types of dating, um, but then outside of just the dating aspect. But what are the big issues that you are seeing with single women in their sexuality today? Are there other things that you're seeing and encountering through counseling and through mentorship that have continued to raise up that you feel like is worth talking about as well? Sure. I think I would say from the women that I have known, I would say maybe 70% are struggling with pornography use. We, We throw the word addiction around too often and it normally is not an addiction, even if it's been a compulsion or maybe an abusive hmm. relationship with pornography as a way to self-nurture. So if that is you, find a counselor or a mentor or a friend to talk about it because that the shame and guilt often associated with sort of a secret pornography use can be overwhelming and keep you really isolated. And actually, that can be one of the hindrances to dating or you know, long lifelong relationships for women is their, like we said, their past, their history. Maybe they have had mm-hmm. a history of pornography. No one knows. Um, about 90% or more of the women have had some experience or struggle with masturbation. And so mm-hmm. that can be really hard for people to talk about. And, you know, that's a very gray area in scripture. Scripture is not specifically like, do you not masturbate? Yes, you can. It doesn't say that. It talks about mm-hmm. spiritually healthy characteristics of women. But again, I'm going back to the fruit of the spirit. What is actually most loving to you and your body? What Mm -hmm. is joyful? What helps you operate in a sense of self-control and peace? And so Mm -hmm. um, those are some things that I initially would think about would be porn and masturbation. Others would be a lot of guilt and shame from previous relationships. Um, and, And also a lot of guilt and shame from not having had previous relationships. Hmm. I think that we have become that sort of the culture we talked about in the beginning where a lot of value for women often we buy into that our, our value is in our sexuality. Maybe we've become a lot more sexually active than we actually intended to. Maybe there's been a lot of sexual experience. Maybe there's a shame that you feel not good enough because you haven't had any sexual experience or even kissed anyone or dated anyone. That's actually also very common and can be just hmm. as much of a struggle with women after college or in their mid-20s or 30s who haven't dated. So these are important things to think about. Um, I think that's probably it on that. Yeah, and for a woman who is struggling with this, would would the next step be to find a counselor? And maybe this is something we need. you need to be digging through more with professional help? I think professional help. I would love to say that you would be able to find a mentor or church or small group leader but really, we don't have enough, even in seminaries, that was part of what my research showed, sexual education or even how to engage others from the church's hmm. context. They're just not equipped, even though there's a heart to do that. There's not equip, equipment or a comfort level with how to really talk through sexual issues with congregants, with the body of Christ, with the church. And so... If you can find a counselor, but even if you can find a sex therapist or like I would be a Christian sex therapist, that would be to me preferable if possible. But even if you want to read a book that, you know, really God is the counselor. And I would love to tell you another person has all the answers. They're there to be on your journey with you. Sometimes your best, your best friend can be a person. You you sit down and just talk to one another about these things. They're the issues that feel bigger than you, if there's been sexual trauma, sexual abuse, um, hmm. like sexual behaviors, you feel like you just keep trying and trying to break free from and you can't. If there's an overwhelming sense of shame or guilt or there's something going on in your body image, maybe you've got a real issue with food that may be in excess or in not enough food, that that is part of the way that you have sort of handled your sexual identity is through food. And that's another hmm. for women um, those are things that I would come to a counselor about. But if you just need encouragement in your journey, I have a feeling most of you with your friends can do this by yourself. Um, and that's always the best place to start because it's the person most accessible to you within about an arm's length. And just say, hey, this is something I'm thinking about. Hey, this is something I'm going through. This is something I wish you would just pray for me. Can I just check in with you and tell you where I am in my journey? And mm-hmm. just knowing that you're not alone, that God's with you, that this is a good thing that someone else is with you that you can text or reach out to. I think that's a good starting point. Yeah, I think that's been a huge thing in Nick and I's life that we've been encouraged of 
um, from our mentors is to have accountability. And we both luckily have those people where even in, even in marriage, even in my singleness, I had the same thing of some people who I would do exactly that and text and be like, I'm struggling with this. This is what's going on. And in marriage, those things don't go away. That's, that's the big thing with all of these issues around singleness that I have experienced. And I think most of my friends and the people in my circle have as well. The things you're walking through in dating, they aren't cured when you are in a relationship and married. You just are now experiencing them in a different capacity. And so I think having accountability around them is extremely important and being open to having a safe space where you can share what you're feeling and experiencing because they will continue to come up. And you need someone who's looking in in your life and just having that checks and balances to say, hey, how's how's it going with this? What's going on? Or I see a flag here and I think we have to be comfortable with having those hard conversations in a safe space with someone who you know loves you um, and you can trust but still will maybe be able to call out the things that you don't want to be living in. Exactly. I think about how many women I've known who have had abortions in the past and it's such a fear of thinking about getting married at some point or married Mm -hmm. again and having to share these burdens or sexual trauma with someone or their sexual history with someone. And I think if that's you, if you're listening today and God, he has this for you. He has Mm -hmm. the desires of your heart for you. He wants to set you free because whether marriage is something you choose or not, God wants to bring you to a place of freedom. I, I said earlier, the differences between premarital sex and postmarital sex, that the way God has truly designed sexual intimacy to be is giving. He's raised us to hmm. be where we receive from him and come full into connection and relationship with someone else full. And then we can give away trusting and knowing that the other person will have done the same. And as we give, they pour in as this wonderful exchange of intimacy Hmm. that can be very different. And as you see, singleness and the ways we've been talking about is all about learning to give in healthy ways rather than take Hmm. and meet needs to take from someone else and try to meet our own needs in unhealthy ways. We've been talking about how to give and to serve in healthy ways. So what we're really talking about, these hindrances that also go forward in marriage, if you got things that are stopping your flow from giving, not just serving all the time, and part of it is also giving to yourself, like the very first comment we said, how do you also care for yourself? You have to love your neighbors as yourself, which means love God, love yourself, then love others, mm-hmm. which sounds strange in church culture, um, but that's actually true. It's hard to be in a relationship because what you have, you can give. If you don't have it, mm-hmm. you can't give it. So I think that here we're talking about that great exchange and the, the things that are hindering, whether it's pain, it's hurt, it's an unhealthy view of self, wounds, trauma, that is hindering your ability to give of yourself and feel confident and mm-hmm. safe and secure in vulnerability and intimacy. Those are the things especially in your singleness that God wants to heal. Hmm. That's really good, Jenny. And looking at, let's say people are listening to this and they are married or in a relationship and now they're carrying with them the things of their past that they have gone through or maybe things that they're still going through that they have never shared. Um, Like how, how would you say God approaches those and we should approach those as well? as individuals to care and love for ourselves well and the relationships that we're in in a healthy capacity? One, I think more than anything is the sense of um, God's omnipresence. And that means he has been with you in every aspect of your life and nothing has been Mm -hmm. hidden from him. And sometimes that can scare people. There's nothing that you would share. Song of Solomon chapter two says, His banner over me is love. There's nothing Mm. in your life that you would share with him or offer to him, which is what he's asking for. Even someone hearing this podcast, he's always the initiator. So if someone is hearing this podcast, it means that God is knocking on the door, inviting them to turn that pain over to him. Because what he's saying Mm. is my banner over you is love. I want to cover you with my love. Psalm 91, I want to cover you in the shelter of my wings. 
I want to tuck Mm. you in like a little baby and heal you and wash you and hold you safe. And so I think that's the heart that we need to get behind. That's another reason to go to counseling. If that sounds hard for you to believe, if you haven't seen God in that way, if he has seemed harsh and dissatisfied and angry or hurtful, then that's not really God. Someone else has taken the place of him and we want to correct that. Because again, mm-hmm. if, we, if it's hard to love God and also love self, it's hard to be in relationship with others. Um, mm-hmm. I think that these types of um, situations you're talking about, these traumas are the bigger traumas that we have in life. Those are the ones that you keep trying to forgive. You keep trying to throw away or discard or release, and they just don't go away. It's not that easy. Mm. This is something that's deeply wounded you in your mind, your body, and spirit. And to me, this is the time where you would really consider safe counsel and appropriate mm-hmm. counsel. It, it's tempting to want to place these types of conversations with our friendships. That also sort of goes back to that relational table that I talked about mm-hmm. with the gluing on the legs. Relationships are already glued together, but these are heavy, dense things that I would place on. I wouldn't put a car engine on my kitchen table. It's not made for that. It's not strong yeah. enough to handle the weight. It's not braced. It's not reinforced. It's not made of the equipment and material that's made to handle that, nor would I ever put a car engine on a kitchen table because it's just, it, it's not going to hold it. And so someone who's actually in counseling would be a good person to go to um, for these types of mm-hmm. conversations because they have the tools and the experience to not pick that up, not try to hold it, to help you um, put it down and to step away, mm-hmm. examine what you need to, to break unhealthy ties with it. And also just the confidentiality ethically and legally to keep that safe. And then you can step away from it easier, yeah. lighter, not carrying that burden into your regular life. Confession to me and that confession sounds like taking responsibility or blame. That's not what I mean. Taking it out of your mouth, uh, speaking it from your mouth, from your heart, not carrying your heart and speaking it out and putting it out before someone releasing hmm. it. That's what I mean by confession. And then, there's the spiritual term repentance, turning away from it, not looking at it anymore, not identifying with it, refusing to partner with it and focus on it. That's part of one of the beginning parts of that type of trauma recovery are those two things. Hmm. And that to me, me needs to come into safe and secure counsel. Yeah. I remember a huge turning point in my life with my history and past, even with the the hurts that had happened in my family or with the past relationship and how that impacted my identity was I, there was a point where I can remember, I felt like when I introduced myself to people or they started to get to know me, I had to share those things with everyone. They had to know what happened to my family. They had to know about the relationship and the pain that I experienced. It was like I had to share my pain because it was so a part of me. And as I entered into counseling and into this discipleship relationship with you, where we were doing really intentional prayer over it and releasing it, I stopped having to share it. And it's really interesting now because I feel so free from those things and those pains and hurts of my past that I don't feel like I have to share them. They aren't my whole story. They're a piece, they're a chapter of my story, but they're not the bigger picture of what's happened to me. Um, But I think that's a part of healing that a lot of people begin to experience when they do confess. At least I did. I started to confess it and press into it instead of avoid it, which is definitely my nature is to want to avoid the pain. I started to press into it and let the Lord shine light in it and free me from it and offer forgiveness to myself and others. And now it's not the consuming part of who I am and how I love myself. I agree. I remember watching you go through those years of, to me, like renovation and restoration. And it was amazing to watch what God was doing. But you, like, I think all of us, there's a certain point where we quit identifying with our pain, which is what I'm talking about. Confession. Mm -hmm. Like there's some things that God means for us to process that there's value in. There are other things that we take in that were never meant to be there or that someone tried to place on us or in us. And we just need that thing Mm -hmm. to come up and out. 
It's like surgery. Like, yeah, we don't need to keep processing it. We certainly don't need to carry it. And Mm-mm. that's kind of what was happening. That confession is I'm dealing with something and I think I've got something in the pit of my stomach that doesn't belong there. And so that was actually the whole point of like, we sort of, it sounds kind of gross to say, but we sort of gag it up at times. Like, but you know what? Yeah. Once it's out, we're like, oh my gosh, what is that? That was never anything that I was meant to swallow. When you have little right. children, and I know you do, and Cal, you know that they try to swallow all kinds of things, and you're like, what in the Scary. world? And like, if we could just <laughs> yeah. get him to like, get it out of his mouth and spit it back out, like that's the very best thing to happen. And these traumas mm-hmm. that have happened to you, the pain, even if God brings somehow something good, it's not necessarily he's trying to bring a, and make the trauma good or to make hmm. the circumstance good. He will bring a good because you've processed it through to healing with him. And so hmm. that's how the purpose will come in the process of healing. And you hmm. will, you can increase because of it. But that's such an important part. Yeah. I even think about the table analogy once again, like God has good for you. But sometimes our, like we in our lives, our table is not able to hold even the good that he's given us because it's broken. And there has to be restoration of ourselves to enter into healthy relationships and give of ourselves to be able to hold the good. Exactly. I love that. Yep. Ah, so good, Jenny, as always. Um, well, man, it's been almost an hour of talking. So I hate to even wrap it up because I know there's so much more. But is are there any other final thoughts that you have um, on this topic and speaking to single women in their sexuality, women in general and their sexuality that you'd like to leave with us? I think more than anything is that you're not alone in whatever you're facing, whatever you need encouragement. And I feel like this is such a topic that we don't talk about in whatever capacity. And mm-hmm. most women just need to know that they're normal and it's okay. As a mm-hmm. woman at all, whether you're Christian or not, you're going to be facing issues in your sexuality. That's healthy. That's normal. Mm-hmm. God has not designed you to be apart from your sexuality in any way, your gender in any way. He wa- just wants to bring it into a place where it's life-giving and peaceful. And it looks like, as I mentioned again, in Galatians 5, it resembles each fruit of the spirit where it is life-giving not only to you and to others. And so Hmm. be encouraged. You're not alone in your journey. Seek others to do life with. If you're in a single season, do that really well. Live confidently. Enjoy where you are. Actually, scripture tells us that singleness is a time where you can focus unhindered on your relationship with God. It doesn't mean that you won't have a wonderful relationship with God. But if you do get married, you get to take all of that relationship into your marriage and live out of that. It doesn't mean that God doesn't meet people in marriage and also an intimate way. But if you're Hmm. single, this is a unique time for you. And the, the bounds of your relationships, the boundaries are just limitless. God wants to go with you and do this life with you. He's not trying to hinder you or pin you in. He's trying to put what I call like little picket fence boundaries around you. And those things, hmm. he will just add to them. He will pick them up wherever you go. You are not like set in concrete anywhere. So wherever you go, he wants that wonderful boundary of modesty, purity, soul virginity, physical virginity, hmm. if that's applicable, gentleness, graciousness, receptivity, beauty, soulfulness. He wants that to go with you. You don't have to be less than, and you don't need to pin down. You can move through this life. God has called you to live a fruitful life. If you're married, God has called you to do the same. There's a whole nother conversation we could have for married women. And that is not a less than calling and neither Mm -hmm. is singleness. They're different callings. And so be encouraged. God has a wonderful plan and a design for you. And no matter where you are, he's not finished with your story yet. So we'll see what happens. That's so great, Jenny. Thank you so much. So what are you working on today? Where can people find you? And yeah, just share a little bit about your work today. Sure. Well, so I'm focused predominantly in parenting, a grad student, a college student, and a high school junior. So that has been a good bit. Um, I'm working in my counseling practice in Athens, Georgia. They can find me on my website, ruarestoration.com. That's R-U-A-C-H 
restoration.com. I'm also working on my book proposal in 2022 for God Like Sex. And I don't know what it'll be called or exactly how it will work out, but I am in the process of putting that together. That's great, Jenny. Uh, cannot wait to read that. Um, it's going to be amazing. And all of this will obviously post on our show notes so that people can find you easily and stay tuned and be able to hopefully get your book as well when it comes out. And last but not least, um, just what's something that's been bringing you a lot of joy lately? Oh, gosh, I think quiet time within myself. Life is really busy right now. And I think just taking those little moments to lean into God. Um, so mm-hmm. often, I would love to say that it's this long period of time. In mental health, we didn't have the um, like stay at home lockdown. I think I worked about 150% capacity for about 18 oh months. So gosh. it was a lot and we needed wow. to. It was time. It was a crisis. We have been in sort of a, a warfare in a positive sense. God's been doing a healing work. So I haven't had the slow moments during COVID and quarantine like others might have had. But those little moments of just recognizing that God is there and that he is hmm. strong and just being able to lean into him. And even sometimes in his quietness, it has been such a gift. So I want to continue to grow on that this year too. I'm still growing in my ability to connect with him just in the quiet present moments, but hopefully I'll continue to move forward. Hey y'all. And thanks so much for tuning in to another episode with the woman amidst. We're so glad to have you as always, please reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. Leave us a review or a rating on your favorite podcasting site. Reach out to us on Instagram and share your stories. So you can hashtag the woman amidst, and we would love to reshare your stories, hear from you and reach out to us. We've already had people doing that from our last podcast. We're so excited to hear some of the new stories that we're hearing from women, whether it's on Instagram or here live with these stories. Um, So we're so glad to have you as always. We hope you guys have a great next two weeks until we see you again.